Good morning, Mountain Park. My name is Alan. So glad that you're here. I hope you received your fortune cookie on the way in. Maybe that in and of itself would make you say, you know, I'm glad I came. That you could feel fortunate enough to have... Okay, sorry. Um, uh, my daughter, uh, after the first celebration, she's five, and she said, uh, Daddy, if you've opened yours yet, she said, I bet you wrote uh, the backside. And uh, I don't know even what she's talking about. Um uh, <laughs> But uh, we should, we'll tell you in just a moment more about why we gave you fortune cookies. But I've never really met anybody who was not a fan of fortune cookies. I mean, I've never met anybody who, who doesn't like fortune cookies. And besides the, the tasty, uh, sugary cardboard wrapping around the little piece of paper, you get inside there a piece of paper that's positive. It's called a fortune cookie because it's always positive. It's, it's going to tell you some, in some way that you're fortunate, that you have, you today are going to have a great, discover a great relationship or something wonderful is going to happen to you or you're going to have an impact on somebody's life. They're, they're positive. They're words of encouragement. We like that. Rarely do we open up a fortune cookie that says, you're a bonehead. You are a waste of skin. Your parents are siblings. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it doesn't say that. They're positive. They, they give you good fortune. They, we, we, we like encouragement. As I was thinking about that, whenever I think of encouragement, zip, I go back to the very first time I spoke. I did a message in front of the church in Cincinnati, which is where I was before I came here. And there we had a Saturday night celebration, and that was... Kind of the kind of the, the dress rehearsal really, and then we did a bunch on Sunday morning, and and so for after Saturday night we would all gather and talk about it. And I remember the first time I spoke, and I was walking back, and there's a balcony. I was walking past the balcony, getting back to this meeting area, and there was a guy who was a volunteer. He was on our tech team. He was kind of standing over the balcony, and as I was as I walked past, he said, "Hey, stutterer," and, and I. I said, I said, excuse me? And he said, when you were talking up there, you were stuttering a lot. <laughs> and, and, and I so I wanted to, to maverick him and just lean in and say, you smell. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't do a lot of things that I may have wanted to do or say here there in that moment. Uh, see, because that's an example of the opposite of encouragement. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how experienced you are, how confident you are, how uh, uh, established you are. We all need encouragement. And so we're going to talk about that this morning and let God do what he wants to do here in this room. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we do... Uh, welcome you here, and we ask you to bring your encouragement that I pray there, there would be something encouraging that happens way, way beyond the words that I have to say, God. Would your power and your presence bring the encouragement that you want to bring to the hearts who have gathered here in this place? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are going through what we call the whole shebang, and it's basically God's overall story, the overall story of God from the very beginning to the hints we have about the very end. If you are new with us and perhaps are interested in going through this journey with us, we have a binder that you could pick up in the lobby, and every week we have a piece of paper where you can kind of write your own notes about how this story is unfolding for you, and you could kind of create this binder if you would like to continue the, the journey with us. We are now on the second of, of seven tabs in the binder, and that's 
entitled The Exile. The Exile is a central story to the Old Testament that we read. That it is, it is imperative that we have some kind of understanding of what the exile was in order to understand the Old Testament, particularly the second half of the Old Testament. The exile is, is primarily an event that took place in 586 B.C., when the Babylonians came and they took over Jerusalem. Uh, but what we're looking at as far as the, the exile story is all the things that took place prior to that, what happened during the exile, and how, what happened following the exile. It's this, it's this amazing story where, where God's city, Jerusalem, the city that they thought was untouchable, was taken over by the Babylonians. And in that story this morning, the character that we're looking at, we're looking at different characters, getting into character, and, and this morning the particular character we're looking at is a prophet named Ezekiel. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah, the guy that we talked about last week, and he also has the job of saying to the people of God, if you don't change your ways, if you don't change who you're worshiping and how this is all going, God is going to come, he's going to wipe you out, he's going to remove you, exile you, scatter you away from your own city. The first 24 chapters of the book of Ezekiel, chapters 1 through 24, are all about this message, uh, this warning message. And just like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, in the first half of this book, he has a difficult task. He has a hard assignment of saying this. What's unique about Ezekiel, however, is that his method for communicating this to the people of God uses a whole lot of imagery a lot of symbols and, uh, and uh, imagery, uh, creative ways that God wants to talk to his people. So we're going to go there, um, uh, if you would. If you would turn to the book of Ezekiel. And once again, if you go to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably land somewhere around Isaiah or Psalms. And so then you want to turn right. Go to the middle, t- hang a right, and you will eventually land on Ezekiel. We're beginning in Ezekiel chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins, Now, son of man, here's one of the symbols that God gives Ezekiel. Now, son of man, take a clay tablet, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. Build a ramp up to it. Set up camps against it and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. This is basically, if you remember the movie Stripes, it's what John Larroquette did, the character John Larroquette did in his office with the tanks and the little army men. You remember that kind of creating this little, this little setup of army guys. And this is what God is saying. Ezekiel, set up a city of Jerusalem and make it look like this siege is going to happen. Then take a pan and put it in front of your face. This will represent the fact that when the siege happens, if the people don't adhere to God's warning, if the siege happens, if the exile happens, it will be like a pan is in between what's happening and God, because in that moment, God will not hear their cries. God gave them opportunities for change, and in that moment, he will not hear them cry out. He will not step in. He will bring comfort immediately. We've seen that in Isaiah and, and the way the story lays out. But in that moment, as part of the warning, the, 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 the difficult warning, 
Ezekiel says, in that moment, it'll be like a pan before God's eyes. He continues then to another image. Verse 4, then lie on your left side. Put the sin of the house of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 39 days, you will bear the sin of the house of Israel. Just a tremendous weight of all that the people of God are not doing gets, gets put on, on Ezekiel for that time. 390 days lying on his side. Some of you women, you think your husbands look like they're lazy. Ezekiel here, his job is to lay down on his side for 390 days. Zoics. Okay, and then here's what happened. Jump to verse 10. This is during the 390-day period. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also, measure out a sixth of a hint of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a barley cake. Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. That'll get their attention. The Lord said, in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, not so, sovereign Lord. In other words, no, not the human excrement piece. I'll, I'll, there's a whole lot of things I'll do. Not the human excrement piece. It's an understandable thing. I love that our uh, Ezekiel can say to our God, no, no. And so God is gracious and says, okay, we'll cut you some slack. And in the verses after that, it says, you can use cow manure. You can eat your food over cow manure. Well, thanks. Thank you for that. And apparently that when manure is dried out, it can be burned as fuel, and it does not produce an odor. I'm going to have to take the commentator's word for that one uh, as far as how, how that uh, gets walked out. Basically, what God is saying through Ezekiel here, he's saying that this besiege is a big deal. They're going to come around you. They're going to reduce your food and water. You are going to be starving. You're going to be thirsty. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be trouble with a capital T. God is saying here in these first 24 chapters, he's saying chapter after chapter, symbol after symbol, warning after warning, uh, challenge after challenge, if you don't change your ways, if you don't think differently about your character, about how you're interacting with God, if you don't think differently about that, the Babylonians, they are going to come and they're going to wipe you out of your city. You are going to be held captive. Do you understand this? He's making it very clear. The book of Ezekiel actually is broken up into two sections. The first half, chapters 1 through 24, is all about challenge, warning, judgment. This is what's going to happen. And the second half, chapters 25 through 47, are all about encouragement. And so the book of Ezekiel has this balanced challenge and encouragement. Challenge and encouragement. And I think God has laid it out that way because we all need both. We all so desperately need both of those things together. If we have challenge without encouragement, then we are just deflated. We are shattered. We are broken. It's hard to continue to move forward under the weight of all that challenge without the encouragement in the journey. If we have all encouragement without challenge, then we're just we're just spineless. 
we're weak, we're not developing, we're not growing. These two are set side by side in the Harry Potter series. For any of you who are familiar with this whole deal, uh, you know, this is just a, a mysterious thing that she could write thousands of pages that would be read by nine-year-olds. I mean, that the nine, they would just kind of devour the stuff. My son is just going through this stuff like crazy. And here in this story, if you're familiar with it, Harry Potter is in a home uh, the home that he grows up in, it's, it's him and his cousin Dudley. It's his cousin Dudley's home, and they don't want Harry there. They, they're scared of him. They don't like him. So Harry is a picture of challenge without encouragement. And Dudley is a picture of encouragement without challenge because they just pour into this guy, oh, everything's, everything's okay, and they never challenge him. They never discipline him and the whole thing. And you see the results. Neither of these things are healthy. And I think uh, many of us, either right now or at some point in our lives, we can think back to a time where we can relate to the Harry Potter situation. And maybe that's in part some of the popularity of the book. It's that idea of being in a place where we are so under the weight of challenge and in such need of encouragement. Maybe this is part of the home that you grew up in. Maybe this kind of defines or describes how your parents poured into you that it was all challenge and no encouragement. Maybe this is because you had a coach who was very significant in your life who, was, who, just, who just was too harsh with you, too hard on you, and has left wounds. Maybe it was a teacher who was just so mad at life that all they did was just bark at you, all these challenges. Maybe it's a boss in the past or right now who just has no concept of the importance of motivating people. And it's just using this place of authority to lay down these challenges instead of motivating and encouraging people to do their best, to be their best. Challenge without encouragement leaves us broken. Encouragement without challenge leaves us spineless. We need both. We need challenge as well. We need to be challenged. Think about your spiritual journey, wherever you are, whether you're a believer or not. Just the, just, the, the, just the fact that you're here, you're on a journey. You're in some kind of journey kind of seeking, who is this God? Who is this Jesus all about? And wherever you, where you are on your journey, are you working on something now? Is there some kind of challenge that the creator of the universe is is setting before you right now? If the answer is yes, then you're probably listening to him. If the answer is yes right now, regardless of how long you've been a follower of Christ, then you're probably listening to him. That's what life is all about. We get a certain number of years where we get to develop and grow. That's what, that's what, we, what we refer to as sanctification. Sanctification is this lifelong process of becoming holy, of inviting the Holy Spirit to come into different places of our lives and different depths, different rooms that we don't allow access to. That's the process of sanctification. However, if your response to that is no, that there is not an area right now that you're working on, that you can't think of something that you're working on, then maybe you're, you're just religious Maybe, maybe it's not a relationship right now because there has to be a part. You look back on the last six months. Has there been something that you and God have been working on in your life? Some area, some area where God's been challenging you, some perhaps good habit 
that you have been trying to bring as a part of your journey as a result of your relationship with Christ, or maybe a bad habit that you've been trying to work out of your journey as a result of your relationship with Christ. That challenge is evidence that your relationship is alive and active. Otherwise, is it really a relationship? See, we all need something that we're working on, and we need the encouragement to keep working on it. We all need challenge and encouragement. Now, my guess is, in terms of those two pieces, my guess is that for most of us, we're kind of we're more familiar with the challenge part. We kind of get more of the challenge part than we do the encouragement part. It's pretty rare that we have a life or a season of life where we're encouragement without challenge. Right? The whole Dudley kind of thing. That's typically pretty rare for us because life in itself is one big old challenge. I mean, we are challenged to drink less coffee, to uh, improve our parenting skills, to uh, be uh, less angry, to show up on time more often. And that all happened just on the way to church this morning. (laughs) And so think about it. Have you ever, uh, in your place of work, can you recall a time where somebody just called you up and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that our, our professional interaction, the thing that we dealt with, the thing you sold me or whatever, that whole thing, it's just going great. There's no problems. I don't need anything from you. All is well. Can you remember last time somebody called up just having to say that? It's less frequent. Typically, they call up because there's a challenge. There's something you need to fix. That's why we have a complaint department. That's why it's there. We get the challenge piece. We get chapters 1 through 24. We get that part. We understand the weight, the cost of our mistakes. We understand now why it was not wise for us to enter into that relationship, an extramarital relationship. We understand, we understand now, perhaps, that our, our, we're in a, a, a marriage that is dissolved now that could have been avoided if we had taken care of things earlier on, if we had sought help earlier on. We understand the cost of that, the weight of that now. We understand the, 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 the challenge of realizing we have ignored our kids just a little bit too much over the last few months, over the last few years. We understand the weight of, of that moment where we said, okay, I'll just try it once. I'll just do it one time, one time. We get the challenge part. So often in our journeys, the part that we need more of is the encouragement part. We need encouragement. And you know what's crazy about it? What's crazy about encouragement is that we have some kind of scarcity mentality in terms of giving it to others. Sometimes. Sometimes we say, yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to encourage too much because then he or she will get a big head. I don't want to encourage too much. Or I don't want to encourage too much because then it might get diluted. If I encourage this employee too much, it'll get diluted, and then they won't really feel the, the value and the weight of my encouragement when I really, really mean it about something else. That's ridiculous. We are so encouragement starved, those things are much less likely to happen. We need encouragement. And here's a, here's a life lesson. We also love to be around people who are encouragers. 
You want to make friends? You want to influence people? Be a good encourager. Learn how to pour encouragement into others, and they will flock to you. They will want to be with you. We like being around encouragers. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a great encourager. He modeled this for us. He took these 12 disciples, these guys who were not making it in the traditional uh, rabbinical educational system. They were not the elite. The fact that they were back to being fishers, fishermen meant that they were not on the path to being the elite rabbis. They were just regular guys, young guys, probably in their late teens. And Jesus said, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. You guys are going to change the world. You have what it takes. He encouraged them over a three-year period. And as we see in our New Testament story, they did change the world through the revolution of love. And the people that Jesus did not encourage so much, what we see consistently in the gospel story, they're the Pharisees. They're the religious ones, the ones who thought they didn't need any more challenges, the ones who thought they had it all taken care of. They don't need to be challenged anymore. They're the ones that Jesus went after, saying, you know, you don't need encouragement. You need to be challenged. Ezekiel has two halves. The first half, chapters 1 through 24, are all about challenge and warning. And the second half, chapters 25 through 47, are all about encouragement. I want to uh, take a look at that second half here for just a few moments. And if you would, jump to Ezekiel chapter 36. It's kind of right in the middle of the second half of the encouragement piece. One of my favorite verses here, chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says this, I will give you a new heart... And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, see what happens when all we get is the challenge stuff. We get challenge, warning, judgment, challenge, warning, judgment. Our heart, it seizes up. It becomes a heart of stone. What we need is encouragement. The, The root of the word encouragement is this word core. Our very core, this word means heart. In French, the word for heart is core. In Spanish, it's corazón. That's what it means. Encouragement means to restore one's heart. Literally, it means that our hearts would be changed from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And God continues this encouragement in the next chapter, chapter 37, in one of the most amazing, brilliant, beautiful images in the Old Testament, the vision of the valley of dry bones. Chapter 37 begins, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Pause there for a moment. So God is saying to Ezekiel in this, in this vision, standing among all these dry bones, do you think these bones can live? How would you respond? You're kind of standing there looking at this. And if you're real, if your mind was actually functioning, you'd probably be thinking, 
No. I mean, you've got to be ridiculous. It's a ridiculous concept. I mean, I can imagine life coming back into someone who's on the table in a hospital and dying and life coming back to that person, that, being, that person being restored. But dried up bones just laying on the ground? Absolutely not. That is as ridiculous as thinking God has the power to restore our broken marriage. That's ridiculous. That is as ridiculous as saying God has the power to bring freedom into my child's life who's been in an addiction for so many years. You've got to be kidding me. That's as ridiculous as thinking that God has the power to to liberate you from this loneliness that you've been experiencing over such a long time. You've got to be kidding. That's ridiculous. According to all earthly wisdom, that is not possible. It's completely ridiculous. And so when we stand in a situation like that, we can, we can maybe say yes, and maybe it's just kind of a foolish, churchy response. Yes, I guess I'm supposed to say yes. Or maybe we say no, and that's evidence of the fact that we just lack faith. And Ezekiel says this, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. In other words, here in this moment, when, a, when this would have to be mirac- miraculous, I can't explain it. I, I don't. I just trust you, God. I trust you. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Jump down to verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone by bone. These bones represent, these scattered bones represent the scattered, exiled people of God. They, they are just spread all over. And, and these bones are climbing over each other to get reattached. Just, just picture it in your mind, a valley of bones that are clamoring over each other. You can hear the sound of the clunking bones as they pop over one another and snap and this bone way over here knows that it needs to be attached to this bone. It can't get attached to that bone. It needs to go to this one. And this bone over here, it has to come over here. See, there's no level of brokenness that is outside of the range of God's power, of God's ability to restore, to bring these things together. Think, No, I'm too broken. My, these two bones are too far away. And... These bones get reattached because that's what God wanted them to do. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Here you've got bones coming together, and then you've got the, the, the tendons and the skin coming over. So now they're looking like people, but they're dead people. And what they need is the breath. And the Hebrew word for this is ruah. It's the same word as spirit. It's the same word as wind. It's the same word that we find in Genesis chapter 2 when God created Adam and then brought the breath of life into Adam. It's the same picture we get in John chapter 20, 
Verse 22, when Jesus gathers with his disciples in the upper room after the resurrection, he's, he's risen from the grave and he comes and he meets with the disciples and it says that he breathes on them. And it says, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to these disciples after his resurrection, they look up, up at him with wide eyes. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Don't miss those two words, a vast army. Army. Now, when these bodies who were bones have now come together to be dead bodies and now life is breathed into them, they're not all kind of crunched down, barely breathing and wounded and still kind of gasping and trying to, trying to survive. They're assembled as a vast army. They're not just barely hanging on. It's not just about sustenance or living. They are assembled as a vast army ready for service now. Don't need to go through some big old process. They are ready by God's authority, by God's power right now. And so God is saying through Ezekiel, he's, he's saying, you may feel like dried up bones. You may feel like a part of your life, a part of your relationships is just so dried up. It's just been dried up in the sun for years, so dead. But God says, I can bring those bones back together and I can breathe life into those bones. I can restore that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And the second half of Ezekiel is all about encouragement, restoring broken hearts. There's two sections in Ezekiel. The first half is about challenge. The second half is about encouragement. And we need both. So I just, I just ask you, as you kind of think about your journey, which one kind of tips the scale for you right now? I mean, which one do you need more of? As you kind of think about the, the journey that you're on right now, which one do you need more of? This would be a great conversation for you to have with the people you're closest to. Because they need to understand what you need more of right now. Maybe your spouse is pouring a whole lot of challenge into you, and right now, you need encouragement. That person needs to know about that. What about your role as a parent? As a parent, we always need to give challenge and encouragement with our kids. We need to balance this out. Maybe you lean towards one more than another. Maybe you lean towards one more than another with one particular child. That's just the way it comes out based on the, the personality connection. And maybe there's just, maybe you just kind of naturally go down the discipline, challenge, warning route, and that person just needs a whole lot more encouragement. See, because we're not balanced. We can't continue in a healthy way when it's all challenge and no encouragement. Nor can we continue in a healthy way when it's all encouragement and no challenge. We need both. We need both. And my guess is that most of us need more encouragement right now than we need challenge. That's just my guess. 
And so maybe the second half of Ezekiel, this amazing story of the Valley of Dry Bones, can be an encouragement from God for you. Maybe it can be a fortune cookie from the creator of the universe that you open up that has the very words that you need to hear right now today, right now for you. Or maybe you can be inspired through this story to bring that encouragement onto others, that you can be the vessel that God uses to bring much-needed encouragement to those that are around you. We all need words of encouragement. Would you bow your heads? I'd love to just pray over you with that. Father, you know I need encouragement. And I thank you so much when you, when you give that to me through, through people I know, through um, ways that you encourage me. God, I know that uh, every person in this room is in need of both challenge and encouragement. And, and Father, I pray that this week, this day, that we would recognize how you want to pour that into us. You understand this, God. You've laid it out in, in the story. You've, you, you understand what we need, and so you want to provide that to us. It's so often just a matter of us not recognizing it, blowing it off. Oh, that just came from Jim. That's just Jim. But God, sometimes you speak through Jim. So God, may we hear your encouragement today, whether it's as we read Scripture, we realize those words written thousands of years ago were written for me. Or maybe it's, it's, the, it's the power of your Holy Spirit just, just have a, a sense of your encouragement right now. Or maybe it's through another person. Father, as we sing this last song, would you, would you pour your encouragement into this room that we may be reminded how much you love us and all that you want for us. We pray in the amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen.